Welcome back to the show. This week, we're joined by Tom Murray. Tom is a senior research fellow in the computer science department at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Currently, his primary research is in the area of supporting social deliberative skills in online contexts. He has also done research in the areas of cognitive tools, adaptive computer learning environments, online collaboration, ethics, and knowledge engineering. He also publishes scholarly papers in the field of integral theory related to epistemology and applied philosophy. Uh, He shared with me some time ago a model of human development that he calls wisdom skills. This model includes the descending simplification of spiritual clarity, as well as the complexifying movement of human development, more akin to Robert Keegan's developmental model. By combining these two, we have a really interesting way of looking at what it means to create or become a wise human being in a way that defies our simple tendencies to reduce or eliminate important aspects of the human developmental journey. And it makes for quite a rich conversation. And so we spend uh, about an hour and a half together really just unpacking and exploring some of the ramifications of this model. And it's for me, I, I really love it because it, it lines up nicely with you know, folks like Bonito Roy or Rob Berbea, who I've had on the show, and, and puts it into a really clear model of how human beings transform. And so if you are a development geek, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. It's really rich. And if you're just curious about you know, a question that we try to answer on the show, like why is it that clearly very enlightened or clearly very realized spiritual teachers still do bad things like sleep with their students or embezzle money, uh, you might find an answer to that question here that's a little bit more sophisticated than ones you might hear elsewhere. And so uh, with all that being said, I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Tom Murray. And without further ado, here we go. The Emerge podcast is proud to be sponsored by the Monastic Academy for the Preservation of Life on Earth. The Monastic Academy, located in Lowell, Vermont, is a training center dedicated to the amplification of human maturity in the age of the Anthropocene. The Academy trains its participants through a unique combination of rigorous contemplative training, project-based learning, and a disciplined commitment to ethical behavior, all held in the context of deep community. The Monastic Academy is currently accepting applications for the apprenticeship program. This program, lasting two or three months, includes silent retreats, daily meditation instruction, and regular authentic relating practices. This program is free. Other ways to participate include daily visits, week-long retreats, or, if you can work remotely, joining the Academy through the co-working program, allowing you to deepen your practice while keeping your job. For more information, you can go to www.monasticacademy.com. Welcome back to Emerge. 
Today on the show, I'm joined by Tom Murray. And uh, Tom and I have, you know, first met each other a while ago. Uh, we both served on a 10-day Vipassana Goenka course. And then we lost track of each other and, and recently reconnected uh, through the weird and wonderful subculture of metamodern philosophy. And then more recently, I had a chance to see Tom in person again when I went and visited Bonita Roy at her house. Tom was also there, and we had some great geeking out sex, uh, sessions around, you know, the, whatever it is that you call the stuff that we're doing. Maybe, maybe it's post metaphysical thinking. Maybe it's uh, source code analysis. Maybe it's post integral. Maybe it's integral. Maybe it's meta modernism. Who knows? But we enjoy each other's company, and so I invited. Uh, Tom, ba Tom on the show to talk about <clears throat> a particular model he made that I think is just really fascinating and fun to talk about. And it has to do with uh, wisdom skills as a kind of developmental model. Uh, and I, I will also, and, and if you can, if you're not like driving in a car, go to your show notes and, and you can click on the link to look at the image of what we're about to talk about. It, it would probably be quite useful for your understanding. Um, I'm speaking to the listener in this moment, uh, but Tom, could you describe like what this uh, model is attempting to communicate? What's your what's your goal with this? Sure. Um, yeah. So, how to ease into this? Um, I guess. Well, so one way is to say that um, for many of us, the world is full of things we would love to see fixed or changed or transformed um, or understood or listened to or empathized with in some way or other. And in order to do any of those things, one needs to have some kind of model of how the thing works. Um, and that sort of quickly gets into, uh, if you look, you know, the more deeply you look at how something works, whether it's a, a, a person you're talking to or a family system or a social system or a technology or the environment hmm. or the cosmos, um, the more you get into, you know, uh, issues of complexity and system science and, mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And the kind of the, the, the quality and type and content of the mental model that you bring in um, really affects what you uh, what your approach is so yeah. um so um yeah if you if you have you can have sort of all the love and compassion and goodwill and good motivations in the world and if you move in to do something with the wrong understanding or model of something then you're more likely to mess it up than help so um we're in a place mm -hmm. now i think we're a lot of us are saying that um there's something about the topic of complexity that we're, we're grasping and working with and, and, and turning around. Mm. And um, so this, uh, so, you know, developmental models, you know, I come from, I, I do work in that tradition of adult developmental models. And a lot of the focus there is on complexity and the growth of cognitive complexity um, and, uh, and with the, with the ego development models, with some of the models, there's something else going on there. Um, and so part of this work is to try to 
flesh out and get a sense of that other thing. And that the way that I'm describing that other thing is that, and this actually I've, I've um, been inspired by uh, Bonnie Roy's stuff a lot. Mm. There's a, there's a, there's a big part of it that is about releasing complexity Yes, and kind of going backwards in the kind of um, you could the developmental stack of you know the way that complexity is built up, and um, you could say healing or shadow work or deconstructing or you know ablation is a word that I use from from Roy Baskar. Um, so. Uh, yeah, so I so the, the whole picture I call wisdom skills, and that you know the the simple the simple description of it is that all of these uh, capacities that we wish people had, you know, like self understanding and being able to see big pictures and perspective taking and empathy and tolerance for uncertainty and ability to hold paradox, um, you know, pragmatic judgment that sees things in, in context and doesn't get really ideological, all of those things are kind of wrapping up and calling it wisdom skills. Hmm. And that, and that, that um, uh, it's very related to, you know, what we call ego development or, or what uh, Bob Keegan calls meaning making uh, maturity it's also related to the the research on spiritual uh, spiritual development uh, spiritual intelligence um, <laughs> and it's basically saying wisdom skills you have to look at both sides the the um, the developmental side which I call complexity capacity and the um, the more sort of deconstructive side, which I call spiritual clarity. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I'm, so in taking this, and this is not, this is not, in, in that sense, it's not totally new. It's, it's related to, I mean, all, I think all of us in this conversation have been inspired by, by Ken Wilber's work. Yeah. And he, took some really big, you know, stabs at trying to understand this domain, which you can say is about, is partly about trying to make sense of the ascending versus the descending models of spiritual paths. Mm. You know, some people call it spirit is up, soul is down. Mm. Um, mm. That's, it's, not, it's not quite that, but it's related. Um, but sort of, you know, then that's kind of spiritual language and taking that and really combining it with, you know, very cognitive developmental kinds of perspectives so that the, 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 um, the ascending part is the uh, complexity part. And that's all about development, which just basically means one thing building on top of another. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the, the descending, it doesn't quite map, but the, the descending part is more. And the ascending is, as you could say, it's evolutionary. And the descending, mm-hmm. you could say, is involutionary. Hmm. And so, um, and Wilbur took, took, you know, a a real important, um, important piece on, in that territory, 
but um, what's what, there's more information. I mean, two things. One is now there's more information available to kind of fine tune that that analysis. Yes, and um, and in particular, what Wilbur. So Wilbur points to shadow work, and he also points to, you know, things like non-dual source um, and um, ground of being kinds of things. And that's kind of like like the, the developmental part as very has a lot of science and mm. theory behind it, very structured. You can look at all these models with these levels, and they're very well correlated with each other. You know, each one's a little different, but there's a there's a very compelling story about development that's told. But mm-hmm. on the other side, which I call the spiritual clarity side, um, it's kind of this big fuzzy ball, <laughs> and 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 you know, and what we can what we're able to do now um, is tr- start to look at that side with the same kind of precision. Mm. And, and what that means is you can think about um, the shadow work or the deconstruction or the seeing throughness of things in terms of, of the same developmental levels that build up. Mm. So, um, so with that, yeah, so that is, you know, that's kind of an overview of this wisdom skills model. I, I, it's, it, it's helps answer some questions that I think can get confusing in the overall discourse around between and around spirituality and yeah. human potential. Yeah. Um, so it answers, it, it tries to answer questions like is, is, is the non-dual source of being uh, somewhere up at the top or at the bottom of the mm. spiritual journey? You know, cause I think that's part of the confusion that we have is we think of develop somewhere at the top of development things yes. come together into some kind of unity and yeah. maybe bliss or oneness or something and yet what what all the good models of development and evolution tell us is that things get more and more diverse and unique and you know complexly interconnected the higher up you go so there's no sense that it's coming together in any yeah. way. And yet somehow that's yeah. in somehow, you know, in spiritual, both spiritual terms and also in sort of, you know, adult developmental terms, there's like something up there. Yeah. It's all, you know, but I'm, this model is pointing more towards the bottom and I, I could say more yeah. about that, but, but cool. it also answers questions like how can our spiritual teachers be so enlightened and still be in shadow or creepy or so basically so human how can someone be enlightened yeah. and human yeah well you know? uh, yeah so i would love actually maybe we can explore the model with regards to that last question that you mentioned because that's really up for me right now for for various reasons that i won't necessarily go into because some of the some of the reasons are, are things that i can't really share about um but it just seems like Darn, over and bad. over and yeah. over again. Yeah. <laughs> but it seems like over and over again, this happens. And I, I you know, that, that spiritual teachers are found out to be embezzling money or sexually abusing their students or doing whatever kind of horrible thing or, or are, you know, I know of instances where they're actually, it turns out very depressed, even though they're quite spiritually clear. 
in some way. And so like, uh, I have never personally felt that that was like, um, somehow contradictory personally, because I always had, I think a more, uh, I, I never thought that it would be that simple. Like you, you wake up and then you're like, perfect. I think I disabused myself of that belief quite early on in my journey. But I, I noticed that people are still around me, like flabbergasted when they find a spiritual teacher who's, you know, doing something unethical. And so how does this model help us kind of understand what's going on there? Yeah, great question. Um, well, there's a bunch of things going on. One is, of course, you know, and, I, and like you, somehow luckily um i i never was able to get in the habit of putting such people on a pedestal they always everyone seems very human to me no matter where i go mm-hmm. <laughs> um there are certain people that i admire more than others um but um but it yeah, it's a puzzle you know so part of the puzzle is like well what does it mean to wake up yeah and why do we glom so many other things onto that that it, that skill, capacity, whatever you want to call it? Um, and um, uh, it's it, it's interesting to be it, uh, in a position where I sort of write about this in my in the post metaphysics paper. Um, I'm not an awake person. Hmm. Um, I've traveled in our you know the same circles that you do overlapping circles enough to, and, and had enough ex, uh, uh, experiential practice to have some tastes of what folks are talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and also have listened, and this is one of the wonderful things about living in a time yeah. where there's so much online material and podcasting yeah. and all of that. It's like, oh, I get to hear all these people who are awake yeah. And I don't need to even argue with what that term means. It's clearly they are, it's clearly a fine word for a lot of these folks. Yeah. Um, and they're all talking about this. They're, you know, especially in this day and age, we're kind of past the the sixties and seventies guru generation that, you know, so many of these folks are just talking very authentically about their experience. And yes. so I, you know, so you folks like you and I, um, actually get to have opinions about what it means to be awake because we're not just listening to one teacher we're listening yeah, to lots yeah and they yeah. always agree and there are places they do agree and you can pick up patterns that um you know are different than the you know the everyday spiritualists interpretation so yeah. all of that as a context mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> for um um So I, so there's a way of looking at at the what happens in these spiritual practices. Well, okay, so 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 the the model that I'm developing, and again, it's based on a lot of other models and people kind of mm-hmm. I kind of put it together in my own way, um, is that. Um, I'll, well, I'll compare it with, say, with Cook Reuters' uh, developmental model and some others. She says that the, the the developmental journey there's a lot of construction, and then there's a 
a period where there's deconstruction. So at the, mm. at the, after the sort of middle parts, which you could say are related to kind of the rational modern mind, mm. you move into more of a constructive phase. And that's, that's um, associated certainly with postmodernism. Yeah. Um, and, you know, um, I'm, I'm assuming I can use words that your audience will understand and you can, you know, stop me if not, but yeah. you know, the, the green meme, yeah. And, yep. um, and then, and then into, um, what she calls construct aware, where, you know, the green meme is a lot of it is about deconstructing exteriors. You know, you're looking out into society, um, and you, you know, but if you go even further, then you start deconstructing language, deconstructing the self and the deconstruction process turns inward. Mm. Um, so there's this, so, so in her model, there's this arc and other people have a similar kind of model. What I'm discovering as I think about this is that um, the whole developmental stack of building layer upon layer of complexity, you're constructing and deconstructing at all the stages. Mm. So, um, hmm. so that's a, that's a bit of a spin on it. Hmm. Um, and the, uh, you know, so these levels, I'll just name, I'll name the levels for people that are familiar with some of this or just to kind of ground the conversation. Um, the earlier one, um, I call perceptual or, or animal level. Mm. And, and then there's, we could call pre-conventional which is also kind of magical. You can think of it as the child, early child mind uh, includes language, you know, so that the perceptual animal is kind of pre-language mm. and we share a lot of that with, with, with animals. Um, and then that the sort of magical impulsive level child. And then the next level is conventional. And that's sometimes called mythical because it's what's very important at that level. You develop, uh, your meaning making skills. Mm. So, so things have to make sense in terms of stories, connections and uh, so forth. And then the rational level above that, where there's a different kind of analysis of what is a valid way of making meaning. Mm. And you also develop more autonomous, uh, you know, meaning sense of self and meaning making capacities so that you can distance yourself from the the, the, the myths and the narratives, the conventionalists and narratives. And then after that is the post-rational, you know, without getting into details and, and any of that, unless we need to, that's, so that's what these, you know, one way of painting this sense of levels and each one builds upon another. Mm -hmm. And, um, and of course uh, the meditative, transpersonal stuff is up in the post-rational area somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and one thing that we seem to have found in, in terms of this developmental arc is that culture has a, a center of gravity. And, you know, depending on where, what culture you're in, it's different um, where you're located. I'm, I'm in a little green Dreaming progressive pockets of the world, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and you know there are other pockets, but wherever you are, your culture will will pull you up to wherever it is, 
And if you start to go beyond where it is, it'll start kicking and screaming, and complaining and try to pull you down. Huh. So um, it's harder, you know, that's, that's where you start getting the critiques and we start seeing things that other people don't see. So one, one way to talk about these levels is that at each level, there are types of objects that you see that you couldn't see before. Hmm. And that's kind of sub, you know, uh, Keegan talks about the subject object move because some of those objects are parts of the self that used to be invisible to you but you're living them, but you don't see them. And then you can see them and become an object. And you can talk about it, but maybe some of your friends can't. Hmm. And then some of those objects are actually uh, uh, more about the exterior world. And it's more about the level of complexity and mental models that you develop. So like whether you can see something working like an ecosystem and all those complicated feedback loops is like, whoa, this is a, I don't want to touch this thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to try to go and change this thing because it's got all of these interwoven feedback loops in it. I better, I better approach it carefully. Mm-hmm. You don't have that kind, that level of understanding, which is actually at the post-rational level. Mm. Um, you end up going in and assuming it's simpler than it is. So, so you can see an object like an ecosystem or a family system that other people can't see. So, um, anyways, the culture will pull you up or down to where it likes to be and what it likes to see and get threatened if you start seeing things that it can't see. Yeah. And um, so part of what happens at each level um, is it, 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 at each level, there's sort of an influx of new kinds of perceptions. You, you know, you're seeing new things and getting new ideas and one of the things is you need to kind of push away from the previous level mm. to get the sort of escape velocity. Yeah. So that's part of why, you know, progressives don't like modernism and capitalism. And you've got to get a certain distance from that hyper-rational world, mm. you know, but then eventually you need to reintegrate it. Um, so that's one way to, so that, so this, this model, um, this wisdom skill model uh, is saying things are being constructed all the way up and deconstructed all the way up, but there's a kind of natural order. Hmm. And that is that the natural order is that kind of wherever you are, the easiest thing to deconstruct is the thing you just came from. Hmm. So, Hmm. um, and that's part of pushing away. But as you, as you grow, you, you reach deeper and deeper and deeper. Hmm. So, um, so that is why some of the things that we put at the top of the sort of spiritual ladder, which of course we don't want it to be that, but that's the way we see it a lot is, um, they're actually reaching down to the very bottom. And that's why it seems like it's somewhere at the top because it, because, because what's at the top is, you you actually start to see how the how the things at the bottom are, a, the constructions at the bottom are a problem. Mm. So, so um, you can look at the handful of different spiritual, well, not handful. It's a huge system and bucketful of spiritual practices and techniques, 
and start asking the question, well, what specifically is getting deconstructed here and where is it in the stack mm -hmm. of development? So, so something like, you know, so we can deconstruct um, the self, we can deconstruct time and space, we can deconstruct, um, you know, maybe deconstruct isn't always the right word, but it, um, so the, the, these, a lot of these practices are reaching very, down very far in that developmental stack. So there's a place, there's a place in our early childhood, and this is at what I call the perceptual or animal level, it's pre-verbal, pre where we actually construct space and time. Mm -hmm. So they don't exist before then. Mm -hmm. And so to experience in the self a place um, you know, like in the in the metaphysical spiritual language, and, and and I think I've already said part of my agenda here is to tease out the metaphysics from this conversation and bring them back in very purposefully, mm -hmm. but really be critical about the, the metaphysics that we borrow from the ancient spiritual traditions yeah. because, you know, they didn't have the same tools that we have for questioning metaphysics and in repurposing metaphysical assumptions appropriately. So, um, yeah. So to say you're re you, you, you've sort of experienced a timeless state or place or level of development, it sounds like you're sort of way up on the top of some spiritual, mm. it's not that, it's not that far up on, the, <laughs> on some spiritual ladder, yeah, yeah. but time, timelessness in the sense of, you know, you could call it spacelessness in the sense of the one-pointedness or infinity. Yeah. You know, actually, the reason that, there, that it feels both like a single point and infinity is because you're you're connecting with a point before space even had meaning. Mm. So there's no difference between the, the, the point and the infinity. There's no space. So, and the same with time. And, um, right. yeah, so you're going back to that place before. Basically, and the same, and, and so what? It, what's fascinating is um, that cognitive science is now uncovering lots of really interesting information about how we do construct space and time and ego and sense mm. of self. And these things they they kind of spread out into a like. Like when you say, what is the self and what is the sense of self? There's like whole books written about that. And there's like 12 different types of what it means, what the sense of self is. Mm. You know, mm. there's like I, at one point you realize you have a physical body and that's like you're a thing, you know. And another point you realize you're separate from your mother and you're no longer merged. And another point you have, you realize, you think you're, you realize that you, you believe that you're a, have a historical self that has ideas and, you know, so all these different levels, the cognitive science is helping us see that the sense of self has all these parts mm. that we never clearly differentiated very well. Philosophers try to with some success, but it, the cognitive scientists are really helping a lot. Mm. And so we can take a given meditation practice and say, you know, oh, well, I have this experience where uh, I don't feel the boundaries of my body. I'm like expansive. I'm going out into infinity. I don't, my body is, is, um, you know, illumined. Mm. 
And it's, again, it seems like it's way up in some spiritual place, but another way of looking at it is you've just gone, you've been able to revisit that place in early development before you had a body. And that's kind of like, but it's, it's not like regressing to that because you still have all of your other capacities. You've just found, you've just, it's almost like you found the trick mm-hmm. to, to see through that construction and, 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 and make it instead of, um, instead of a, <clears throat> a solid thing that you've learned, yeah. you found the trick to either see through it it doesn't completely like deconstruct like it goes away. You see through it transparently, or maybe you skirt around it and go back. Yeah. This is part of what I'm still trying to figure out with the with the book is, yeah. um, you know, looking into brain science in terms of what's, what might actually be happening. Yeah. Well, one thing that's coming coming to my mind is, you know, I I, stu- I, I practice mostly within the Buddhist tradition, and and uh, at least in the way that I approach the path, a lot of it is the the, the Buddhist path, the traditional Buddhist path, is like one of deconstruction, one of less, one of moving towards what is sometimes called the unfabricated, right? This experience before, or this thing before the the construction of the world. And it is a way in which I hear you saying like, yeah, it's almost like we are progressively unlearning how we have natively come to construct the different facets of our perception or our phenomenology and then, you know, that doesn't make them go away, but it makes them appear differently. It makes them appear, uh, it makes us understand as they arise that they are not real in the way that we used to take them to be. And in that, we're kind of liberated from the fixation around them and the kind of grip that they might have held on us. And and so that makes a lot of sense. And I like that you, in this model, position that as a kind of downward movement and then from that, it, it seems like you could then do that work on the lowest level of your perceptual faculties. But if you don't then do a similar-ish kind of work on the level of, say, like childhood trauma, which is actually perhaps quite a bit higher up in the developmental stack than like your kind of animal-like perception, then that unworked childhood trauma could still function on the level of your daily behavior, you just never participated in working through that part of the stack. Is that, am I understanding or am I using the model right when I talk like that? Yes, exactly. Nice. So it's sort of, it's, it's, um, you know, following Wilbur and others who, you know, emphasize the importance of shadow work and, um, you know, Wilbur, Wilbur pointed out that meditation does not do the same work as shadow work. Um, I There's some blurriness there because I think he was a Zen guy. And those of us who are more into Vipassana know that um, that's kind of it. And also, I think, um, well, I mean, Wilbur was familiar with all, all, quite a lot of traditions, but um, there is a sense of the deconstruction the deconstructing and the sort of healing through the body. But, but anyways, in in general, the contemplative practices work on deconstructing those very lower perceptual layers. um, And maybe a little, maybe the early part of the magical uh, layer. And 
and psychotherapeutic processes work on the higher layers where you start, you know, this the social uh, the social self, we could call it, the, the magical and mythical layers. Um, and they're just different. So different, you know, there's different methods and different techniques for for seeing through uh, the different layers. Yeah. And, and so there's a, you know, so this, this answers the question we back up earlier of, you know, it's, it's not that, uh, it's not that unbelievable that, people who have practiced deconstructing all these lower layers um, have shadow material. They haven't done that kind of work. And part of, and so there's also the question of when's the most appropriate time to deconstruct each level. And there may, and so there's, for each level, there's a, there's a, there's like a question of what, yeah, is, is it too early? Is it too fast? You know, what we're teaching, you know, we already, we already have in our our discourse um, these days that you have to build up a staple ego before you start deconstructing it, or you're in big trouble. Hmm. Um, you could say the same about deconstructing time and space. Um, you know, one definition of non-duality is that you deconstruct the separation between interior and exterior. You know, again, there's a time in childhood where there is no differentiation between interior and exterior the the monster under the bed is very real um and it's not really clear whether dreams are real or not so you can go back and revisit that place and at a perceptual level i think that's one definition of the non-dual experience but it's like what at what point is that useful to de to deconstruct something that low yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's a, that's a, so there's a kind of, uh, I think we can ask more specific questions. Um, and each, yeah, I mean, I see this in terms of kind of almost like brain theory in terms of connections being made in the brain. It, 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 that could be just metaphorical. That's not this the metaphor connection, or we could be talking about the brain. Doesn't really matter, but every, it, in terms of the, building complexity, everything we learn is a connection that's made. Mm. And when you make a new connection, it's, a, it's an association. This thing is associated with that. This goes with that. And they're connected in some way. And whenever you make a connection, you're building a capacity or a skill, but you're also freezing something because you're saying it is this, this mm. is connected to this. So you're, you're, you're wiping out all the other possibilities. You're wiping out a bunch of possibilities each time you, you, you fix a part of the structure. And, mm. <clears throat> um, mm. and it turns out that if the way that you fix that structure, that learning, you know, again, this is a place I'm digging more into the, the literature on brain and trauma to make sure I understand this. But if that thing you learn, that connection is associated with, um, you know, fear. If you learned it because of fear or through whatever uh, pressure, um, stress, it's it's a it's a more rigid connection, mm. Mm. and it's harder to undo. And if you learn something in some other way, I, I'm hypothesizing that it's a little easier to deconstruct. Mm. But if you think of, and each layer builds on top of 
the previous one. So it's a house, you know, it's like, you know, so when you're, when you're doing these practices, um, well, let me give an example in the middle layers. <clears throat> Let's say I have a difficult relationship with my mom. And so here I am, uh, a middle-aged adult, and I'm not that anymore. But let's say I'm a middle-aged adult, and um, I'm always having problems with women. Yeah. And um, I just, you know, it's always their fault, of course. Naturally. Yeah. Messed up, and it just, you know, they just don't understand me. And then I start going to therapy, and it's like, it's like, holy shit, you know. This is all about my mom. Mm. And so somewhere deep in my, the, the sort of social layers of the psyche, I've got mother attached with overbearing or whatever it is. And so, and a lot of things are built on top of that. That's like part of the yeah. foundation. So when I go in there and it's like, oh my God, there's, when, when I, deconstruct or detach or loosen that all of a sudden there's a flood of insight energy um because all the things that built on top of it are suddenly free to re to move around and re either float in 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 a you know in a kind of a maybe a relaxed release or maybe reconfigure so all of a sudden I'm not only seeing my mom differently, but all my other relationships with women and this flood of insight, and maybe I love myself better because of mm. whatever. So that's that's like an example of how, because things are built on top of each other, when you deconstruct something, you release possibility, you, you release complexity. So each level is a layer, there's new layers and layers of complexity, and they're all supporting the ones you know above so to speak and there's so much about and this is, this is another conversation we can get into but a lot of the developmental conversation is fixated on go, going up the complexity ladder but there's so much that's you can say wrong with society that's about mm. the fact that we have too much complexity mm. and and again complexity is just places where things are locked together in association in the, in the, in the learning stack. Hmm. So, so I gave that example as, you know, when that, when that cognitive connection gets released for me through therapy, some almost like some trick of the mind with help from someone else allowed me to see through it. And so cause sometimes it's like a, it's just a, it's a combination of um, skill and grace when these things actually release, you can't make that, can't make it happen. But so that's, that's a, you know, that's a, an example of like all that can come out of just releasing that thing because there's so much built on it. But then it's like, well, imagine how much is built on top of your sense of time right. and space <laughs> or your sense of the body. Yeah. And it's like, when really, when's the right time to go in and mess around with that? And part of, part of what you get down there when you release things is this incredible energy and sense of confidence Fear can go away, you know, like, and so, so now you, that's part of what creates the majesty of the spiritual yeah. experience in future. There's so much power down there that gets released, but, and yet it doesn't mean that you've done the shadow work in between. Yeah. Well, what, what was coming to mind as you were speaking is like, 
it, it seems like based on that way of looking, you want to deconstruct the most fundamental layers as soon as it's safe, because otherwise you're building up structures on top of a delusional base. I mean, that's what came to mind. How, did, how does that land for you? Or what do you think of that? Um, yeah, there's a question of safety. There's a, partly a question of, yeah. I mean, so the, the overall picture is, is like, is rather than like climbing some developmental ladder or some ladder of increasing complexity, it's a question of how to make each level healthy yeah. and whole. And that question is a relative question because it's healthy and whole in regard to what? In regard to the, the current need, the needs of the current situation, mm -hmm. cultural, personal, certain things that worked at one point that you constructed at one point because they worked, they no longer work. So that's why we have this process of continuously, hopefully continuously revisiting different layers of the stack and asking that question, is this working now? You know, it was there for a reason. Okay, I don't need to judge it, but is this working now? Um, so, um, yeah, it's certainly easy with this, easier with the psychological layers to find things that aren't working now. Right. And then when you get down to the things that contemplative practices are pointing to, of course, at some level, they, they are about deconstructing the ego in a psychological sense. So that's usually good, assuming you built a healthy ego. Um, but then when you start deconstructing the perceptual self, I mean, it's a great, incredible, important work in, um, you know, people, you know, Dan Brown is one person who's kind of mapping out mm. the territory um, really nicely. And, but it's not all, <laughs> yeah that's for sure uh, yeah and it also make i mean i love this model because it it helps make sense of some things that like my teacher here at the monastery has said which is that like you know waking up is the easy part it's actually completely restructuring or refactoring everything that was on top of that those aren't his words but now i can say that based on your model but like it's it's the work afterwards that's actually in some ways more challenging because you have to yeah just rebuild everything because you just change the most fundamental layer of your being or seen through it in some way. And now you have to like, like, who am I now that I know that this is the truth? And it's like, okay, that's a long journey. Right. 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 So you want to, yes. Yeah, so you want to, I guess we could say, and this is all, you know, hypothetical. Um, I still feel like I'm working out so many bits of it, but, um, I guess you could say <clears throat> if you're going to deconstruct a certain layer, you want the layers above it to be as healthy as you can make mm. them. So don't don't reach down that low until you feel like the layers above that are healthy enough because, um, well, so we have this, this is in the picture I gave you. There's this model again, call it wisdom skills. It's got one side that's building up complexity, developmentally, evolutionarily, another side that's deconstructing in that same sequence backwards, evolutionarily. And there's connections between the two sides, and which partly explains why things that seem to be at the top are actually at the bottom or in some ways at the bottom. Um, and the, links, the link is that from the complexity side, um, 
you need to be a certain level of complexity to even be motivated or see the reason why you want to deconstruct something. Right. So that's one reason there's that relationship between the two sides. Um, so it takes a certain amount of complexity and self-reflection to, you know, and, and complexity is related to self-reflection because the interior is a very complex place. And, you know, as you increase your ability to cognize complexity in different ways, you increase your ability to go into the interior more deeply or more mm. broadly. So, so you start getting, you both start getting more curious about going down farther, but you also start seeing what get what's getting in the way. And that, and that should motivate you to, Oh, maybe I should deconstruct this thing because now I'm seeing it's mm. getting in my way as opposed to maybe I should do some meditation technique because it right. seems really cool. And there's this really cool teacher and everybody else is doing it. So that's one side is the motive that, that the, the complexity side motivates yeah. to, to deconstruct it tip down. The other side is that once the other direction is that once something is deconstructed at whatever layer, it releases uh, the bound up meaning in a sense. And that meaning is reconstructed at whatever layer of complexity you, you have developed to. So it's, so if I, if I learn that my, uh, attitude towards women has to do with my mom or something, you know, I will, I will remake meaning of that depending on everything else that's already mm. in the system. So that's only one, in, that's mm. one insight, but that one insight has to get integrated into whatever else exists, right. Right. you know, and, and there are so many different ways of doing that. So of course, if you experience a place I mean, wherever you are, you can always find some technique to go as far back down as you want to go because that's a part of inside of you. So if you're a con if you're at sort of concrete, conventional, mythical layers of ego development, and you experience timeless and spacelessness or whatever, you'll in in interpret them in very concrete, literal, spiritual mm. ways because that's that's how that insight. That's the only place there is for that insight to get reintegrated. Is it can't integrate any further than where, where you mm. built up mm. so it gets complicated <laughs> but uh yeah it, it, it gets complicated but yeah. i mean it, well, one the terrain itself is complicated right and i think that part of what i appreciate about this model is that it's really common i think in the spiritual communities that i run in and, and actually partly run from where there's a kind of like simple simplism, you know, like a, 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 a tendency to just try to make everything very simple, which in a way makes sense for the spiritual clarity move, but it leaves out this whole world of complexity and uniqueness and diversity. And, uh, you know, in my, in my world, like, like soul, you know, the movement of complexity into, into newness and novelty. And I, I guess I really appreciate the way in which you're reintegrating these two pieces because it does seem like both these communities need to be in conversation together. And hopefully that there will be new communities that are from the very beginning founded on the recognition of the value of both of these moves. Um, but it seems like one without the other for me is just kind of like boring, actually. 
like complexity without spiritual clarity is, is I just find really uh, hmm, like uh, not, not very meaningful. And then spiritual clarity without yeah, complexity. Yeah. It's like, I, it just doesn't feel like it, it, it meets me as an individual. It's just like this kind of like death march to less, which is cool, <laughs> you know, in its own right, but there's yeah. something more. And, and, and the other thing I w- wanted to say is that, uh, you know, you're, I, it sounds like in this model, the movement over time is towards both uh, unity and uniqueness. Right. So there's 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 a way in which by going down the stack, we can get in touch with the way in which we're actually like the same as every other being in the world. Uh, And then as we go up the stack, we discover the ways in which we ourselves are utterly unique and special and therefore, you know, uh, uh, significant in our own way. Is that is that a way to read your model too? Yeah, yeah, cool. exactly. Yeah, it's that the yeah all the all the all the all the stuff around yeah unity oneness coming together. It's all at the lower parts where because the farther down the stack you go, it's all it's an evolutionary stack. It's built up you know over evolutionary deep time. It's also built up in each individual, uh, psychologically, mm. cognitively in the brain. And it's also, um, it turns out that the same kind of structure exists in the brain itself in every moment that, um, um, and this guy, Jason Brown, who's, uh, I learned through Bonnie, who, who's, who's pioneered some of this work, but the, the, the brain itself and in each sort of moment of thought is sort of starting with the brainstem and, and, and radiating out. The thought is built up in layers that look very, that are, you know, very, uh, that are increasing complexity and look very much like this movement from the perceptual to, to the magical, which is where objects mm. and emotions mm. are attached. You know, you can think of like magical you know, like the magical, you, it's thundering in the sky and it's big and it's, it's, you know, or the tree is talking to you and it's real and, um, and, but doesn't necessarily have a, a story to it, hmm. you know, narrative, you know, but then the, the, the magical, the mythical after that, and the rational, and it comes out, it's irrational. At some point it comes out as language. Um, so that's happening in the brain, the stack. Yeah, so that's, that's it. it's interesting that that process of if you think in terms of, you know, again, I think we're in a we're in a sort of turning point here of just um, you're talking about complexity without the spiritual mm-hmm. clarity and or the evolutionary without the involutionary, and it's you would say it's kind of boring. It's also dangerous. How so? Yes. Yeah, um, well, there are so so. So we're in a, you know, I think we're in a time where we're, you know, culturally, scientifically, cognitively, we're understanding more about what complexity is and actually being able to see complexity as an object. So it's one of the yeah. developmental moves. And it's, it's, it's actually, you know, complexity is a complex <laughs> thing. <laughs> uh, it's really, there's a lot there. Um, 
uh, it, to unpack, you know, unpack that. And so we're beginning to understand what it, what it is and talk about it. And at first, and this is just part of like, the, again, the develop it, it sort of at the sort of postmodern pluralist level, you start to get a sense of complexity and ecosystems. Um, and at all these levels, when the new in, when the new knowledge emerges, it's very shiny and it's like, wow, um, you know, what even like you can think about the cultural revolution of the 60s. It's like, you know, environmentalism and social justice and consensus-based meetings and all that. It's like, wow, but there's there's like a, there's a fixation in it, in, 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 uh, you know, an ideological fixation mm. you can have on these things until you mm-hmm. work with it enough to integrate it back into everything else. Um, so that's one way to describe what's happening with the green meme in general is, and in, 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 in this I borrow from Terry O'Fallon's model, which has basically talks about development in terms of person perspectives and the, the green meme is the, the her, in her model there's an act, um, a passive and an active stage of each person perspective. So the green meme is the, is the passive or receptive phase of this new fourth mm. person perspective coming oh. online. Oh. And it's because it's passive and receptive, it's like, oh, this new information, but you really don't know, you don't have experience with it. You don't know how to or, order it and prioritize it and put it in context. And it's, and, and unfortunately you're, you're not that facile with it yet. And yet it seems huge and important and big and you're, you know, you're getting all ideological about it. So complexity is one of those things that we start to learn at four person perspective. We start to get a handle on. So a lot of the sort of developmental integral, and I would even say to some extent, modern community, although not so much is, has a kind of still a fixation on complexity because it's, it's like, whoa, it's this important thing to get your mind around and talk about. Um, but it's not, you have to get a certain, you know, it becomes, you know, the hammer on which everything is a nail and you get a little more distance from it, you start playing with it and you realize, because the, fir- the first step is like, the world's a complex place and the only way to grok it is at the next mm-hmm. level of complexity. So you hear that saying, it's the Einstein yeah. saying and all that. It's not wrong, but um, um, so much, it's also true that so much of what is the problem is too much complexity or the wrong kind of complexity. So you get a little more distance from it and you see, oh, we have to release, it's, it's, it's probably or possibly more important to release complexity throughout the stack than it is to, you know, it, it's both and, but I'm, I'm emphasizing the, the release um, in the sort of more deconstructive or, or healing moves because they're less emphasized, you know, going down through the stack and making everything as healthy as we can, resolving the the inconsistencies and the tensions in that developmental yeah. stack. Um because they're just it's just bound up energy and confusion and contradiction in there. Yeah. The and it, it what's what's occurring to me is that like this model applies to all systems. Right. Like I see this happening. Like we just did a circling retreat here at the monastic Academy and, and, 
in a way, it felt like we were going down the relational stack and sort of unwinding some like simmering resentment in our relationships and things like that, that I, I, I imagine must have been to some degree distorting the ways that we were behaving together. But then afterwards, we felt this renewed sense of energy and trust uh, because we went in, in this model down the stack and kind of unbound that energy. And then moving forward, we could actually create new complexity in a more skillful way. And so it's like, it's, it's, it's applicable in a lot of different contexts, which again is, you know, why I really appreciate this model is that it, it's, it, you know, like the, the terrain, as you said, is complex, but this model is actually quite simple and helps you do a lot of work in talking about this stuff. Yeah, I'm excited to be getting it out there. Um, I, I talked a little bit about it in the paper on, on post-metaphysics, um, but again, I'm, I'm still working on the, the longer book version of trying to figure all this out. And it, yeah, it's great to talk with people about it because I'm often running into these little dead ends and corners. It looks like what needs to be well, I have, I had so, one curiosity, which is like, I'm... Uh, I really like it when we can, uh, maybe I'm kind of playing my, my integral cards here is like, I really like it when there's an, 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 a linguistic elegance to things. And that's kind of why I, I appreciate your model. It's like, okay, we're going down the stack and there's a kind of symmetrical move that we're applying to the level of perception or to the level of the, the conventional self. And it, I guess you you know when we talk about like going into childhood trauma or something like that we we often don't talk about it in the same way as if we're going to the level of our perception but there does seem to be some kind of very important similarity in what's happening there in terms of maybe like reducing rigidity or is it is it perhaps just releasing complexity like releasing delusional fixation or how how would you frame that in in, in a way that helps us see the symmetries between the different levels of the stack. Uh, yeah, it's all the same process. Um, they're, 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 it's all the same process. Um, anything, any skill or capacity that we have is something that was built up through, you know, you could say neural connections or associations and skill networks and all that. And, um, Yeah. So any anything that's built up can be either, you know, deconstructing is a tricky word because you know totally throw it away. Um, it's almost like more seen through or healed yeah. through or loosened up, made transparent. Uh, and it's always a question of what is this structure still useful, you know, um, and. <clears throat> And that's where the you have to have a certain distance from it, a certain reflective distance from it to ask answer that question, a certain kind of witnessing stance. And the wit in you know, it's another I just throw in another thing about this model is I think in Wilbur's developmental model, he's got things going up to he's going up he's got like I think witness somewhere near the top, there's like the witness state and then the non-dual state. And then there's Triyatita above, which sort mm. of combines the two. This framework does it differently in that it's, 
um, the witness capacity is the kind of subject-object move that's mm. always happening. So to witness is, is to build another level of complexity where you are seeing something. You are building a layer. It's almost like a layer of neurons that is connected to and therefore perceiving and or coordinating mm. the lower level. So that's like a witness mm. management structure. So, so witnessing always goes up. And what we call witness in the spiritual sense is it means you're witnessing something very yeah, far yeah. down the stack, like right. the, 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 self, the self prior to the, you know, the, the, like the, the embodied perceptual self prior to the construction of the, the ego. Um, and, and the non-dual thing is actually at the bottom because that's where everything comes together in a kind of a, um, you know, pre-differentiated wholeness. And so what happens, and so combining the two together is what happens up at the top is where you not only have the experience of having the, the you know, whatever it is you're deconstructing down there, whether it's spaceless, timeless, selfless um, experience or the combination of all those things. And there's a way that you are, it's not like you're just, like you're tripping on acid and you're just experiencing it you're actually seeing that you're experiencing it so you've got both happening and so there's like a there's like a depth to the stack so that's Uh that's part of where the sense of vastness comes from is that you're actually you know that sense of vastness comes from the depth of the stack that you're able to hold in any you know in any given moment and part of that ha- that's part of that sense of the sense of uh, transparency and clarity and power that one can experience has to do with whether those layers are sort of mm. cleaned up or not the more clean sort of clear and transparent the layers are the more that that view is yeah. kind of opened up and so I'll, and again this is kind of getting away from uh the metaphysical and needing to have these like metaphysical constructs, like the ultimate ground yeah. being that's, you know, you know, that's, I mean, that's the post metaphysics paper, but I don't think we, we, it, it's, it, it's kind of problematic. I think it's, we're, we're no longer in a place where it makes sense to talk about relative reality mm. and ultimate reality as if there mm-hmm. is like one thing, Thing that is ultimate that we can actually say or know anything about it's more these this or, or that yeah so the sense of the body the sense of timelessness and even in the sense of kind of like mm. infinity that kind of can accompany some of these states you can just say you know that's part of metaphysical thinking is to create object um magical thinking rather is to is to with these objects outside, you know, like love, I feel love inside myself. And then I can imagine that love is like this mm-hmm. thing in the ether to the, the, the mm-hmm. created the universe, you know, that's, that's actually, a, I mean, this is another conversation about the post metaphysics. We actually want to, we want to have and honor that the magical mind and magical way of thinking. So I'm not critiquing it mm-hmm. in a total sense. Um, but just sort of contextualizing it. It's a very important part of the being that can feel 
the universe is full of love or something like that as, as, a, as an external thing mm. that's operating. But also to realize that that sense and that way of meaning making is the magical level of the mind operating yes. in that moment, uh, yes. perhaps appropriately, um, to add meaning and to, to add meaning and life energy to the yeah. situation. But but we no longer we can say we there no longer have we have some choice about where we use that kind of language, that kind of metaphysical language now i think so that this idea that there's an ultimate reality in a relative reality i think is a holdover from you know traditions that didn't you know they didn't have the mm-hmm. postmodern critique of yes language and consciousness and so forth so the sense so again this this sense i was getting mm-hmm. to i think is <laughs> <laughs> my way back is the sense of um, that sort of timeless, expansive, like infinity. It's like the, this is the way spiritual, spiritual traditions talk about it. It's like you're literally in an infinite space. It's really more phenomenological. Like, well, infinity is just the closest yeah. word we can put to that feeling. And the reason it feels so infinite is there are more neurons in the brain than there are grains uh. of sand on the beach. And we can't that's might as well be infinity. If you're like able to like experience that much of your, if you're able to sort of witness that much of your mind is kind of like vibrating, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it might as well be infinity. There's no better. (laughs) It's close enough. Yeah. Actually. Right. Right. You know, so there's somewhere in between. Yeah. Well, and, and what I also really love about that is that like in the example of this perception that, somehow the cosmos is infused with love. Like if we don't then take this additional step of making some kind of metaphysical claim on that and instead say something like, yeah, that's a totally valid, beautiful healing perception. And you could also have the perception that the cosmos is infused with space or consciousness or unity or, you know, who knows how many different kinds of magical perceptions you could have of the nature of the world. And and by not kind of reifying it into a metaphysical object, we leave that whole terrain of exploration open so you can move back and forth between these different perceptions without kind of being stuck on one as if it's somehow like fundamental or ultimate or, or, or true in that way that might occlude further exploration. Yes, yes, exactly. And so now we're we're pretty solidly into the domain of that post metaphysics paper, which yeah, I no, I loved it. At. I love that so, paper. Yeah, yeah. So that's 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 like uh, yeah. So it's being able to hold those things more lightly, but also, I mean, in part, that paper is about the dialogue between science and spirituality, and why they're not talking to each other very well um and the approach is to partly kind of see them in those two kinds of narratives in developmental terms and tune into the parts of ourselves that are at those developmental layers the 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 mythical magical and the rational and and the post-rational which you need to actually Mm. look at the whole picture and 
get those parts of ourselves talking to each other and phenomenologically explore like those meaning making structures in order to open up to have science be able to talk to spirituality spirituality be able to talk to science and honor each other um because the the again this this idea developmental that each stack builds upon and needs the lower stacks. So you can't actually do science in that kind of rational, analytical <laughs> thing in, in the world. I mean, it, it happens in the world. There are actual scientists doing it, making meaning together. And they can't do that practice without resting upon the sort of, you could say, conventional um mythical level which is the, the storytelling and meaning making level because you're ma you're doing the science because you're a community of people making meaning together and when you say oh i'm gonna you know talk to the scientists or build upon this other idea you're you're incorporating that you're, you don't make us you don't do a scientific experiment to prove everything you're doing you're actually using the, you're actually using um relationships mm -hmm. of authority and trust and all that stuff that is not it's pre-rational you know it's the same it's the same modalities we use to you know why the why is the bible correct it's an authority structure right so you have to you have to build on top of that and that's the the, the mythical storytelling conventional level and then below that is the magical level of where the where that creates the just the objects themselves and their emotional charge that appear to you. And so that's kind of where the, um, where the metaphysics gets created in a sense. It's like what metaphysics is about, what objects are real and what objects are not, and what is reality. So the, the, all the questions, questions about what is true are quite often really questions mm. about what is real. And so that's all. So just looking at how we construct what we believe is real is, again, another one of these sort of um, complicated, layered questions to dig mm. into. Um, but I, so I, I was, yeah, so I was getting was at that. So you can't do science without, you know, scientists like to pretend that the mythical level is associated with religion and it's stupid and the magical level is associated with you know, yeah. childhood and dreams and that's dumb too. But you actually, they're all functions that require each other to build on each other. So there's, I think we're moving towards ways of honoring each level and allowing it, you know, it's like the scientist who has, who's studying the cosmos like Carl Sagan. And he said, this is my spiritual experience, this sense of awe and wonder of the cosmos and that's tapping into the magical level of the brain and, and, and meaning making and integrating that mm -hmm. with the rational level, you know? With, yeah. With well, and, and it's not, you, it's not just scientists who do that, like contemplative practitioners, especially I think in cases where say like mindfulness is unbundled from a tradition of practice that makes some kind of metaphysical claim, uh, people, believe that they are practicing like without being impacted by these lower levels that there's no there's no like influence on their perception or on their practice 
of the fact that they have a metaphysics operating, uh, or, or in this model, I guess, is, is lower in the stack informing the way that they're behaving in relationship to the, the path that they're on. And, and so I think it's just so useful to have a model that kind of makes us look lower in the stack as we're going about trying to do the things that we do, whether it's contemplative practice or scientific inquiry or even, you know, conversations or whatever. It's, it's uh, we're all, it, 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 there's no escape from operating with all of these parts of ourselves, either in alignment or kind of mucking it up, I think, to a certain degree. And so it, it's, it's really important that we take that quite seriously, I think. Yeah. For some reason, it makes me think of, we were talking about circling practice and just how these kinds of things apply at different levels of anywhere that there's yeah. tension, you know, in the system, there's things that are working at cross purposes. Um, yeah. And ten- tension is always in relationship yeah. to some purpose. So whether it's this, you know, the, 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 you could, there could be some shadow material inside you that this is not just not a problem until a certain place in life. And then it's a problem and it's attention. And that's, that's where, that's where you know it comes up and that's where you yeah. look at it same with group practices there's no there's nothing that there's not there's no like a priority need to clean up anything or do any kind of work until it shows up um as attention in the space and then it's like all right is this i mean one of the questions that this model helps ask i suppose is all right what's the move that we need to make here is it kind of a witnessing move up or is it a a you know, involutionary mm. move down and in, or probably usually both, but it might, it's mm. good to have that kind of vocabulary. Are we, de- are we deconstructing? Are we building new capacity to, to appreciate the complexity here? You know, it's, yeah. And, and then at the later levels, um, it's interesting. I'm just kind of, <laughs> I'm looping this into some of your, recent podcasts that talk about um, mm. uh, social collapse and um, uh, what's the other one? Deep, deep adaptation. Deep, not deep, deep adaptation. Yeah. That, yeah. Whole, that whole narrative and how, I, what a lot of, some of what came up is just the need to just, face the realities bluntly, yeah. you know, like step, <laughs> step one, <laughs> bluntly face yep. the realities, yep. <laughs> big step. And um, in all the ways that the kinds of denials and turning away and, you know, God, I see them inside myself. Um, those are structures. You know, every time there's like a reality we don't want to look at, we have to build a, 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 you know, a structure, an actual, uh, you know, either, either, a, um, a, 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 an enforcing or reinforcing connection in the brain that, uh, that provides a new pathway, a new cognitive tool. So we don't have to think about that thing. So that's an actual, so, so that's another 
an example of mm. layer of structure and that makes the mm. system more complex. So it's, but, and I, you know, you could make the argument that at some points it's useful and important to have that kind of complexity. Certain things are so painful to look at or so, or so complex to look at that it's better not to look at it. If all that, if, if, the, if, the, if looking at it would only yeah. cause more suffering, um, either because you're frozen in pain and despair or because you don't have the level of complexity right. to actually do anything about right. it, better not to see it. But, but, then, um, but then if you can see it because it's true and we're not going to solve our problems by, you know, having false models and false beliefs, then, um, yeah, there's just something – yeah, that first step is about seeing the blunt reality. And then for me, the next important step is about the grief and the sadness. You know, it's like that's part of the picture. And that's a, that's also an involution. There's something about reaching into the depths of the self to be able. It's almost like how, yeah, mm. it's like... Um, Somewhere at the deepest parts of the self, there are resources for being in touch with like basic life energy. So there's like a, there, there are like layers, deep layers of the self that are always mm. hopeful, always alive, always, mm. or always just what they are in a way that feels yeah. whole and good and lively. And if you can't reach that far into the stack and touch those places when you need to, I mean, that might be a prerequisite to, you know, actually dealing yeah. with this stuff, yeah. um, you know, and, and so that's kind of a, you know, reaching those layers of this kind of a shadow work process because somewhere in, somewhere in there is the, uh, I think somewhere in there is the, the, somehow the grief work it relates to getting to be able to touch those levels, or maybe it's a yeah. combination of both. Of, of 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 at the same time feeling the the sacredness of life as a phenomenological layer of the self, and also a perceptual mm -hmm. layer of the world, and the. Yeah, so I'm just so actually, I think grief is a is a is one element of the de yes. deconstructive process, yes. right? Grief is letting go. So there's there's something in there that was tied together as a structure that you're letting go of. And so it could be a belief, which yeah. usually is a belief that you didn't know you had or something, or that you were resisting yeah. that you had. Yeah, um, that's no longer useful. So that's you know previously i talked about when these structures get released they can release the like aha energy of insight you know like like if i you know realized that my mom was actually not a horrible person mm -hmm. <laughs> and therefore all my relationships with women start to get healed but also there's another part of that deconstructive process, which is, mm. is yeah, which is also a kind of release. So, yeah. It, yeah, yeah, it's another flavor. 
you know, again, it would be so interesting. We're just at the beginning of having the neuroscience that can actually explain. Um, there's neuroscience now in the area of trauma that's starting to uncover this stuff. And, you know, I think it's in a place where it'll start to be able to look at just regular modes of grieving and, and unlearning. You know, it's another way of looking at spiritual clarity. Mm-hmm. It's an unlearning process. Yeah. And the complexity is a yeah. learning process. Yeah, I love that frame because I've one of the patterns I've noticed in these conversations about collapse is that after you kind of bluntly take on the complex nature of the reality of our times and the kind of dire position we're in, it, it almost always seems, and maybe this is more to do with me <laughs> than, than perhaps the, the nature of the space, but I don't think so. I think there's really a pattern here where then the conversation turns to contemplative practices or it's like, okay, so this is the case. Like we seem to be on a collision course with some kind of collapse. What, what do we do? And it's always going down, back down in the stack and finding some kind of place of security on top of which you can grieve and perhaps like refactor the structures on top so that you can participate in the world in a way that feels in integrity now that you know what you know. But it's, it's interesting that there's like, you know, collapse or the, the whole systemic collapse pieces in a sense, like the top of the complexity stack, you know, it's understanding like all of these systems of systems of intermingling with each other is creating these collapse dynamics. And that's forcing us to go all the way down back to the, the root or the, 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 um, the, the, the base. Huh. That's right. <clears throat> yeah. We're, we're one way I described that in the post metaphysics paper is to say that, um, through most of human history, the project has been to understand nature so that we can, you know, conquer it or manipulate it um, or adapt to it. And through that, you know, through that led to science and technology and all the wonderful things that we have now that are eating us alive um, in ways that we never could have imagined. And so now all of our problems, almost all of our problems are the result of Hmm. human nature now, rather than having to figure out nature. So now the project is to figure out human nature. Um, uh, yeah, and that's of course, and that's that even gets scary because you know if you the first step, the first step is again a complexity. It's like oh, human nature. It's like this complex thing. We can understand it, and there's kind of that positivist move of you know yeah. um, social engineering, and you know we just go. And, and, and it's interesting when you were talking about how the climate conversation leads downward that's in in your world because you're in a contemplative world but there are whole other worlds where those conversations just mm-hmm. lead to you know, like engineering right that's <laughs> yeah, up, up the complexity stack and of course both you know both are yeah, yeah. needed yeah. and um, um but yeah now that it seems like it's it's really important now to understand human nature not only 
but mostly, in, you know, the first yeah. step is just in, inside the cell, not, not to like figure out some social engineering thing, but just basic, basic, basic things like, um, you know, how it ta- what the, what the right. implications of attachment theory are for right. all of culture and, and stuff. So nice. Well, Tom, I, I want to. I wonder if there's any kind of. Um, pieces that you'd like to ent- like enter into the conversation as we start to close it down, like that you feel we didn't get a chance to bring in or anything that's on your heart or mind that you'd like to share with listeners. Um, I feel pretty complete, Daniel. I'm actually quite amazed at how much territory we covered. Yeah, that was awesome. I think that was really useful. Yeah. So um, yeah, hopefully this will lead to more conversations Cool. All right. Um, yeah. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. Yeah. It was great chatting. <laughs>